Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, SSNC Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, or best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to see how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with SSNC Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have as my guest, Dr. John Spiokla, who over his 38-year career has done a variety of things, including teaching, researching, writing, and consulting on topics of innovation, technology strategy, as well as economic value. Most recently, John co-founded a research firm called GAI Insights, which helps companies in the area of generative AI. I can't wait to discuss that with him. John, welcome. Why don't you expand on that introduction a little bit, if you don't mind? Tell us more about yourself. Sure, sure. It's a delight to be here. Thank you so much. And obviously, you're a real organization and individual committed to the kind of transformative power of technology. My background is pretty simple, actually. I grew up in Brockton, Mass, and uh, went to you know, a bunch of school and went to work for uh, Harvard Business School in the area of technology and innovation and so forth as a professor there. And I get interested in the question of what happens to organizations, to individuals and in society as life becomes more computable, as we can go from the physical world to the virtual world and its implications. And so that's turned into a really exciting and interesting career for many years. John, I noticed in your profile that in the, I think, late 80s through the 90s, it said that you co-created, researched, and taught the first AI and e-commerce courses at Harvard Business School. Yes. That must have been an incredible experience. The beginnings of the internet, yeah. the dot-com bubble. Yeah. Have you written a book about that yet? Because I would read it. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. you. Yeah, I've written a book about that. I've written a bunch of articles about that. Yeah, well, the colleague Ben Kaczynski, who's now down at Emory, we built the first course, what we call Building the Knowledge-Based Organization. And I had kids building expert systems with a TI product at the time. And we had a whole thing about what happens to knowledge as you start to codify it and the difference between structured, semi-structured, non-structured. I mean, at a very simplistic level, yeah. we've been automating physical world for 120 years or so. We've mm -hmm. been automating the structured world for about 60. And now we're going headlong into the unstructured, semi-structured world, which is going to bring a lot of value. Mm. So why don't we talk about the origins of GAI Insights? Sure. What's the story behind founding that research firm? What inspired it? The focus on generative sure. AI, and then you just tell us how the journey's been so far. Yes. Well, I was fortunate to run into a fellow HBS guy by the name of Paul Beyer. Yeah, they got in touch with Paul because he was a software entrepreneur and he started building a learning lab back just about a year ago, about February of 2023, to start to just do shared best practices and so forth, just get a conversation going about generative AI. And the reason I thought it was so interesting, in addition to Paul being just a wonderful human being, high integrity, super smart just a lovely partner to work with, is that I believe that this generative AI wave is going to be as big or bigger than the internet and the cloud and mobile combined. And there's two fundamental reasons for that. One is that our ability to take all kinds of new data types is really a big deal. And to put them into an n-dimensional 
semantic space, as we do with the matrix math underneath mm -hmm. these generative models, allows you to take continuous data like heartbeats, diagnostic data like, hey, I've got cancer, discrete data like my temperature is 99.5, put them mm -hmm. all in a similar semantic space. And that's going to allow us to radically increase our knowledge. That's kind of the first thing. The second thing mm -hmm. was that the way I look at management and so forth is if you go back in the Industrial Revolution, Fred Taylor worked with Henry Ford. A lot of people miss that. Fred Taylor was the father of scientific management. So it wasn't just the assembly line, which Ford got from a combination of the meat packers and grain milling. He came up with that idea. But Fred Taylor was the guy who said, no, no, it's about knowledge management. We're going to take the best shoveler. We're going to take the best welder. We're going to take the best assembler. We're going to take that knowledge. We're going to put it into management, not just the guild. And we're going to mm -hmm. spread that. And that's how we're going to improve. And if you take those two things together, the ability to grok tons of reality and radically change our ability to manage, move, dialogue, access, knowledge, I think we're at a whole new productivity curve that'll make the industrial revolution look small. And how would you differentiate GAI insights from other research firms in the market? Well, we're very much focused the way the corporate executive board was focused before they got purchased by Gartner. And I talked to Tom Monahan, the man who really grew you know, CEB into a big company before it got bought. And we are focused on the user, the AI leader, either business or technical, or sometimes a team of a business or technical person together. An enterprise, a quarter of a billion dollars or more in revenue. And their job is to figure out what's real, what's below me. How do I think about it and assess it? How do I pilot it? And if I like it, how do I scale it? And so we are really trying to help the executive that has to make value at this move forward. And we don't see anybody doing that. And we try to do that in a way that curates and really gives insight to the um, executive. So just to give you a specific example, we have a daily news briefing. There's lots of mm -hmm. daily news briefings coming out and there's some really good ones. Pivot 5, AI supremacy, there's a number of them out there. Mm -hmm. We're the only one that evaluates those with a discussion with our analysts where we say, is it EIO, essential, important, or optional? And why that's the case. And so we have a conversation about that. We distill that down into a, a short email. And then, so that evaluation is not in the marketplace. Those case studies are not in the marketplace. The linkage between technology and economics is not yet in the marketplace. And one last thing is basic training. We have four foundation customers now. And we do a lot of training about what does this mean for the busy professional? And one company trained over a thousand people. And we find that pretty uniformly as we go class of about a hundred each, about a third of the people don't use it at all. About a third mm -hmm. of the people use it about an hour or two a week. And about a third of the people are deep into it. Well, when you're at that stage of development, you have to make sure that you can help the advanced people move faster and the basic people get up. So it's really that clarity of focus, I think, differentiates us. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, John, you've seen a number of technology disruptions over your career. We talked earlier about you being at Harvard when the internet was taking shape, for example. How would you compare what's going on now with Gen AI to previous technology revolutions? Well, you know, in every market, there's Gartner hype cycle, whatever. There's overpromise and they deliver and then, you know, overcorrection and so forth. This one, though, is very, very different for at least three fundamental reasons. First of all, Nowhere had, uh, back in the dot-com stuff, and we're right in the middle of it, the final, for our first class, the final project by one of the guys was the marketing plan for Yahoo. And so 
we're right in the middle of it. And the problem there is you had a bunch of capital going at businesses that had no business model. That's not the case here. OpenAI is a $2 billion company, right? And you have uh, MidJourney makes over $100 million a year and they have 11 employees, okay? I don't care what their cloud costs are. They're making money. That wasn't true of the dot-coms, right? Mm -hmm. This was not. And it was not, it's not true. So that kind of massive commercial adoption, first thing. Second thing, you have major companies putting this stuff, not out in the hinterlands and innovation theater, but in the core of their business. McDonald's putting it in ordering. Walmart, putting it in checkout and shopping. Mm. Epic, the ERP for healthcare companies, putting it right at the, the point of the doctor doing their notes. And if you know anything about that, 80% of all the costs in healthcare come from the pen of the doctor. Whatever happens in those notes drives the vast majority of the cost. So these mm -hmm. people are doing it like Volkswagens, putting it right in the car. Mercedes, right in the car. I mean, these are not experiments off to the side. This is right in the core. And it's happened since 15 months. Nuts. Third thing is I think fundamentally, when you move the ability to cognate, to think, to take action, and the long history of automation has been one way, out of humans mm -hmm. into machines, out of animals into machines. And you interrogate them and you, this is a true dialogue. And that's very different. Yeah. And the dialogue is really a multi-log because people have this idea of, they anthropomorphize this stuff and it's wrong. What we're talking about here is humans conversing with a swarm intelligence, okay? It's mm -hmm. not a human with another, it's, you're talking to a beehive. You're not talking mm -hmm. to a bee. Okay. Yep. If you're in a Tesla car, you are a node on an intelligence network that happens to have cars running on it. And that's a very different kind of intelligence. And it's in dialogue. It's not monologue. So I yeah. think for those three reasons, it's very different. This reminds me of a conversation we had recently with a customer who was saying that with generative AI, they want to have the ability to have a conversation with a contract, say in, in procurement or in the legal area. And when you hear that, it's, it kind of makes you smile, but that's the kind of thing that's possible now. It's really just amazing. Well, John, let me ask you one other question uh, that came to mind. Many companies have been using predictive or, or traditional AI for some time. Now generative AI comes along. Do you see many of them wanting to bring the two together? to make a, a process automation more complete? Or is, this, is it really too early in the maturity of Gen AI to go down that path? Yeah, I think very few companies are there yet. You have some sophisticated companies like, you know, some parts of the insurance companies are pretty good about this. I think of them as deterministic and probabilistic systems. Mm -hmm. So, And then when you think about risk inside organizations, there's really kind of three kinds of control systems. And I'm talking about management control in the sense of guiding a large organization, not control like I tell you to do this, right? But control yeah. with a capital C. You have uh, deterministic ones. Let's say Kraft Heinz is an example. You have deterministic mm -hmm. ones. Should this retailer get a rebate because they're at this level of purchasing these products? Okay, that's mm -hmm. a deterministic system. Okay, great. Right. You have probabilistic ones. Hey, how's the macaroni and cheese going? You know, we hit in the quality targets. How many brokes do we have? All that stuff, right? Cool. That's probabilistic. Then you mm -hmm. have what are called containerized risk systems. And this is very true of investment banks and so forth. Okay, you're the milk trader or the cocoa trader at Kraft, right? Because it built mm -hmm. huge input for them, right? And the chief financial officer will tell that trader, hey, John, you've got $500 million worth of risk in the balance sheet that you can trade. Okay, mm -hmm. don't go above that and save us mm -hmm. money. What, what, what's happened is that I think IT has traditionally been deterministic implicitly. 
And only the very most sophisticated organizations are accustomed to dealing with all three kinds, deterministic, probabilistic, and containerized risk systems and mm-hmm. to understand how they interact. And right. so I think we're just at the beginning of that thinking. Hmm. Very interesting. John, in a recent Harvard Business Review article, your company introduced the WINS framework, that's W-I-N-S, in which you define a new category of work. Can you elaborate on this? Yes. Well, I was fortunate to have Jimmy Hexter and, and Paul Beyer also help with this. The basic idea was, and this goes back to your question about what we think makes our firm different. The market will tell us if it's different, but what we think is different is that we're trying to really translate this capability into something that an executive can understand. Mm-hmm. And you talk about symbol work or knowledge work. What the heck is knowledge work? Show me stupid work. I mean, it's like it, <laughs> it, a heart surgeon's a knowledge worker. My carpenter's a knowledge worker. Everybody's a knowledge worker. Yeah. It's any good, right? So that's not helpful. And I mean, there are a lot of good things about the Goldman Sachs report, the, the McKinsey reports and so forth. Hey, 72% of this kind of work will get automated. Okay. Okay. Right. That's kind of helpful. But as an executive, mm-hmm. what do I do with that? Should I worry about that? Right. And so we tried to, we came up with a wins framework. We said, look, let's talk about it in terms that make sense to the business. So we looked at the mm-hmm. cost base and said, just look at your labor and say, how much of your cost base is in the production of words, images, numbers, and sounds, including code and moving pictures. If you ask an executive that, they can give you a rough number, right? On this. And they say, okay, how much of that is already digitized? All right. So you kind of get that picture in your head. You say, all right. So if you're high, high, professional services, movie making, entertainment, PR, all that mm-hmm. stuff, you're almost 100%. Right? You got rent, you got labor, and that labor is all doing symbols digitally. Mm-hmm. Those folks we call in the crucible, their business models are going to be radically transformed in three to five years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you take someone who's doing cement form work, right? Very low, when mm-hmm. low digitized. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, scheduling stuff like that's important. Maybe a little bit of buying. You know, big contracting firms, multi billion dollar firms, very little impact. We call them in the balcony. Okay, you can kind of sit and wait, right? Yep. Then you have people who have high, it's a small part of the cost base, but they're highly leveraged things that they do, like oil exploration, pharma, biopharma is mm-hmm. going wild in the new thing, the new Moderna IBM deal. They supposedly can go from looking at 100,000 molecules of interest to 1.1 billion. That's more than <laughs> It's a 10 million times more. And so, that's massive. If you can computationally explore molecules, you're what we call holding a lever, and that's already highly digitized. And then you have folks who are next in line. You have organizations that don't have a lot of things digitized, but might be transformed. Like I think local government, for example, has a lot of things mm-hmm. that aren't digitized. But if you were right. to digitize it, I think you could run the building department, the permits, all of those stuff. You probably run it with one tenth the labor and have better service. Mm-hmm. And we found that executives really kind of it's like, oh, I get it. I can look at that. Yeah. And yeah. that, that I can eyeball, yeah, I can wait. No, I can't. John, do you, do you find that most companies who you help understand that they are in the crucible in this high, high quadrant, are, are they already, you know, feeling the right sense of urgency or do you sometimes have to convince them of that? Um, all has to do with whether or not they've had personal hands-on experience of like five to 10 hours of trying to do something serious. This is an area, as much as any area in my professional career, where people have strong opinions and no knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
Yeah. Okay. It's relevant. It's not relevant. <laughs> and it's like, have you used it? Have you tried anything yeah. other than something trivial? It's like, no, but it's not going to do anything. And, but once you take them through, once you like, we're working on the lawyer the other day and we took mm-hmm. a 43 page contract and mm-hmm. we stuffed it into the robot. It was GPT-4 in this case. And we said, okay, there's two distinctions of the member and managing director. We said, all right, yeah. create a table that's got what are the major decision rights and risk differences and responsibilities for each of these roles? And yeah. trying to find that in 43 pages of legalese is like nuts. <laughs> you can that out in 30 seconds and lawyer's like, yeah. oh God. You have to make sure the tool is relevant for the task because you can misalign that. Okay. But if the tool is relevant for the task, you have two effects in addition. One is you compress the distribution of performance. So the lower folks come up a lot. In mm-hmm. one case done by Bernie Olson, call center people went from taking six months to be effective to six weeks. Okay. Huge compression. And then the whole average moves up. So the better people get 20, 30% better. The bottom people get 60, 70% better. And the overall distribution compresses. Yeah. That is a massive difference. And so yeah. once you show them that stuff, that's because now I'm talking business talk, right? Okay. I can right. take somebody wet behind the ears and make them productive in a month. And oh, by the way, they're as good as people have been here six months and I'm running a call center. They get that. So yeah. once you take them through and show them stuff they can understand in their business, yeah, uh, I found it to be very receptive. Okay. Well, you can't talk about Gen AI for too long without getting into use cases. Everybody wants to know what the next company over is doing with Gen AI. As you have worked with companies and advised them, what do you find are the most common use cases for Gen AI that have surfaced at these organizations? I think that the the speed with which people, well, first of all, on the, the WINS framework does kind of hold up. You get people who are in PR firms who are scared to death. You get people who are in education firms who are like, hey, we have to redo mm-hmm. ourselves. All the professional services firms, McKinsey, BCG, PwC, E&Y, they know they have to go at this stuff here in Tongs and they're investing billions. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's what you would expect. Yeah. I think that I've been surprised at the use in other domains, like for McDonald's to take ChatGPT and put it into its ordering system with different personalities, mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. expect that to happen this year. Next year, maybe, because if you know anything about McDonald's, it's in two things. It's in the drive-thru and it's in franchise ops. There are mm-hmm. no two more sacred operational activities in McDonald's than franchise ops and the drive-thru. The drive-thru is responsible for mm-hmm. well over half of what they have going through. And you do not mess mm-hmm. with that until you're really serious. Right. Uh, so that's been the real surprise is how in the uh, holding a lever companies, putting mm-hmm. in critical operations has really been big. I guess the last okay. thing is just, it's not so much surprised. It's just dizzy at how fast you start diving into bioformer right now. I mean, my yeah. God, they're printing enzymes. Yeah. Alpha fold, the protein folding capability has just been bested by a new mm-hmm. model as of two weeks ago. Yeah. And alpha fold mm-hmm. crushed it. I mean, so. The speed of increase in bioforma is just breathtaking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. John, do you see more companies gravitating to Gen AI because of its ability to summarize and collate massive amounts of data? Is that a bigger draw versus the ability to create content on the fly, like an email to a customer or an ad or a promotion that, that is personalized? Which of those areas of Gen AI do you think is garnering the most attention? It's really bold. The better customers are figuring out how to arm the rebels. And what I mean by that is the uses of generative AI, because it's such a horizontal thing, and because 
the economic value can start at a very low scale. I can take 200 RFPs. Just as you said, I can talk to my contract. I can talk to the RFP. I can talk to my policy. I put my book in a custom GPT and I can interrogate mm-hmm. my book. Okay, that's fine. Let's get a little agent in there. Uh, and so because of that, I believe the right paradigm is to think of it the way that the quality movement looked when it got popular. So if you think back to the quality movement, you have white belts, green belts, black belts, but mm-hmm. you, you teach people basic approaches and basic science, fishbone diagrams, statistical control. Here's how you think about measurements. You also teach people how to organize teams to teach them and to move them forward on a project and a program basis. And then Mm -hmm. you can roll those up into a federated model of improving quality. Okay. That's how I think we have to start thinking about generative AI because we need white belts, green belts, black belts who understand the technology and its application, which is exactly Mm -hmm. how quality was done. It wasn't just a statistical process control. It's like, here's Mm -hmm. how you think about it. And when you have the fishbowl diagrams and so forth, you're looking at the causal links. And then most importantly, they had the ability to escalate the situation so that they could get at the necessary activity. So mm-hmm. if you're doing quality in a car and what was happening is that the steel coming in had dents in it or imperfections, there was an organizational mechanism to escalate that back to the steel supplier. Mm-hmm. Same here. It's going to be, hey, look, we're not getting the right data <laughs> or people aren't capturing the conversations. You're going to need an ability to escalate that to get yeah. at the right thing. So I think the right way to think about it is infusing a multi-level capability with efficient governance that can scale. Wow, that is a great way to put it, John. A multi-level capability with efficient governance that can scale. I love it. John, who do you find leading most of the Gen AI initiatives within your clients? Is it IT? Is it a separate group? It's really a combo. In our core customers, you have business-oriented IT leaders, very senior, who are driving this. And also in one particular customer, the person had been working on really data architecture for about four or five years beforehand. And also the mm-hmm. usual architecture, put it into a fully owned subsidiary that allowed for budgetary freedom and more time to actually deploy it. So smart stuff like that on one organization. In another one, you have an IT leader that's stepping up and saying, look, this is really important for our organization. And in the third one, large private equity company, you have a person who has started as an IT leader, then is one of their operating executives. And you may know mm-hmm. how private equity is arranged the financial executives and the operating executives. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's one of the operating executives, but is credible in technology. So in addition to his day job of being an operating executive of two different other of their 75 portfolio companies, he also has taken on the additional responsibility to teach the other CEOs and CIOs and CFOs what this is about for the portfolio companies. Wow, that's fantastic. Totally, it's yeah. right at that intersection. And then occasionally we have the more staff-oriented R&D, sometimes called chief technology officer, something like that. They generally mm-hmm. don't have organizational power. And we will serve them and help them with news and so forth, but we really prefer to serve the people who own p responsibility. Okay. So John, speaking from the Blue Prism perspective, most of our clients have automated their core business processes using RPA some of them with the addition of predictive AI. But now generative AI arrives on the scene. Do you see many companies going back to these processes that they previously automated to see how they can get even more automation now that generative AI is accessible? 
Yes, I do. Although it's the leading companies, it's still early days. Right. Randy Bean and, and Tom Davenport did a lovely survey that showed, I think it's just under 5% of Gen AI projects are in, in production. Mm-hmm. And, and something like 67, 70% of companies are doing pilots. The production part's very early days, right? And we see the same thing in terms of education. You, you can't hop over the basics. You got to teach people mm-hmm. the basics right now. So and right. I would say to any leader that's doing this, don't hop over the basics. Don't think the song in your head is in their head. Okay. Right. And there's a lot of emotion about this because it's about thinking and thinking so precious to us yeah. as humans. What are the biggest inhibitors to Gen AI adoption, in your opinion, John? Really two things. One is that there are people who, the way they kill technology because they're afraid of it is that they say purposely overblown things. Like, oh, this isn't going to get rid of underwriters. Yeah, of course it's not going to get rid of underwriters. I mean, why are we even talking about that? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like saying, oh, this lunch isn't going to poison you. It's like, yeah, okay. But people do that a lot, especially with AI, because they haven't thought a lot about it. I think there's that. I think the other thing is that they overblow the risk and thereby blunt their organizational capability. It takes time to learn how to use this stuff. And there are Mm -hmm. plenty of places you can use it. Employee manuals, stuff that is non, uh, non-sensitive, that is already public if somebody knows how to find it. The problem a lot of times is I can't even find it, even though it's public. That's where you want to start. Don't overblow yeah. the risks and uh, what's going to happen when you put it in the, the core. Okay, let's, let's worry about that when we get close to it. So I think those two things. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest misperception about Gen AI? I think the biggest misperception is that this is going to be some kind of autonomous intelligence that's going to like swim around and do all kinds of stuff. The analogy I love is power tools. This is mm-hmm. power tools for knowledge work. And if you walked into your house and you had to pick a contract, an electrician, a plumber, whatever, mm-hmm. a carpenter, and they were sitting there with a hand drill, drilling a hole. And you came in and said, what's that? And say, well, I need a hole here. It's like, well, wouldn't you use a power drill? I mean, you still need somebody to move the mm-hmm. power drill. If you have somebody reviewing a contract that's not using generative AI, if you have somebody mm-hmm. writing you know, a marketing email, if you have somebody who's doing the brainstorming, they are sitting there. Yeah, but just imagine the yeah. rule and you have a whole, whole bunch of people like this. I mean, that's what you're doing. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, my daughter, she teaches at Montessori school. It's very Chinese oriented. And so she was mm-hmm. doing lesson planning for a month and it was all around Chinese New Year and so forth. And she had certain things she wanted to teach and she wanted to bring Chinese culture in it and the whole routine. And mm-hmm. I showed her the stuff and it like pumped out a lesson plan. I said, okay, here's what you want to do. Then What's the assignment? What's the preparation? Mm-hmm. What's your materials mm-hmm. list? What are the learning objectives? Give me a note in English and Mandarin to the parents to tell them what the kids need to bring. All this stuff, we went through it and she was flipping out. She hey. said, dad, isn't this cheating? <laughs> not cheating if you tell them to use the thing. And she said, what we just did in the past 30 minutes literally would have taken me a week. Yeah. So it's just there. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. What excites you the most about Gen AI and the possibilities that it is creating? Well, I do think that this really is an opportunity to spread knowledge. A lot of the thing about the internet and even, God forbid, television before it, and even the telephone to some people was how we're going to democratize knowledge and all that other stuff. Actually, I do think that this gives each individual the power of a tutor. And if you think about education in the past, Socrates, that was a tutorial, right? Alexander the Great had mm-hmm. Socrates, right? And then we couldn't scale that. And then the Brits, Oxford, Cambridge, the house system, 
goes to the elite and they had tutors, right? And the tutor, they agreed with a tutor for a year and then you're right. And then with industrial education, we scaled it, but we lost that tutorial edge. We started looking at the output, which your SAT, blah, blah, blah. It was output based, not conversation based. Now we can go back and have true conversations to scale. And that's mm -hmm. how people learn better. So that's the thing I'm the most excited about. But that also brings you the thing I'm the most afraid about, which is not that Gen AI is going to take over. It's that the amplification of inequality is going to be so profound with this. Mid-journey, 100 million bucks, 11 people. Goldman Sachs makes about a million bucks in revenue per person. Yeah. This is over 10 million bucks a person. That's nuts. So if we don't consciously do the public library access to this, the community banking access to this, the mutual insurance company access to this, which were incredible democratizing things for capital. If we don't do that here, we're going to regret it. So that's both mm -hmm. my biggest hope and my biggest worry. Well, certainly it's going to free us up to do more things that we enjoy. And so my last question for you is, what are you reading right now? Well, the current favorite is Next Wave, okay. which is uh, by uh, one of the guys who uh, founded DeepMind. Fantastic book. Absolutely required reading. No question in my mind. There's that. Uh, um, the okay. new book coming out by Venkat Raman on fusion strategy is going to be fantastic. I haven't got my hands on the book yet. I know Ben Kettle a little bit. He just had a Harvard Business Review article coming out. But super smart guy writing a certain good thinking. Those are really the biggies. We read a ton of research papers and so forth about. I'm going back mm -hmm. in. I don't major math a little bit, but I really want to understand it better. I think the miracle of the Transformer algorithm, the image I have in my mind is, I don't know if you've ever read the science fiction thing, Dune. Yeah. Frank Herbert's Dune. Sure. You know, the way the sandworms go and look for spice, yeah. right? That's my image of the Transformers. You have this. Unbelievable search pit that kind of goes through and finds the spice, you know, because it is miraculous what it's doing. That was a long book to get through. I read it two years ago, and but I loved it, and I loved the movie. And part two comes out in two weeks, so good timing for that reference. <laughs> Look, this stuff is going to be a different world. We're in distributed intelligence. It's a hive intelligence. Military adoption usually accelerates its use in society. This Ukrainian war and the Israeli war. I mean, if you've been paying attention. Yeah, they're using cheap Chinese drones. Yeah. And then on the semantic warfare side, I know some folks who are basically doing narrative analysis, nation to nation and so forth. So mm -hmm. soft power implications of this are profound. And so I think we're going to see a massive retooling of the military industrial complex, which is going to drive all kinds of innovation. Yeah, I agree. Well, John, it has been a tremendous pleasure talking to you today. I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. We live in such exciting times. I'm enjoying the ride. I know you are, but thank you for your time and I wish you the best. Thank you, Brad. And I just want to say that I think that you and your firm are very well positioned because I think there's a whole nother generation of value you can bring to your clients. And the beauty is you have the knowledge and the base on the, the predictive AI and the, and the processes. And I think you are in the catbird seat to then grab that next layer of unstructured, semi-structured data, new data sources, new dialogue with customers that can really add a tremendous amount of value. So I'm delighted to be a part of your series and I'm very optimistic for your future. Many thanks, John. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how SSNC Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.